I'm Heidi Zuckerman, and this is About Art. I've spent my life connecting people to art to make their lives better. This podcast talks about art in contemporary culture and why we should care. Each episode is an impactful conversation with people I find interesting and think you will too about their life, values, and always about why they think art matters. This is about art. Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning in today. My guest is the artist Derek Adams. We met a long time ago and he tells a great story about how we met. And I think it's a wonderful lesson for artists who are listening today to know that even if you might not get the thing you thought you wanted, you might get something else and maybe it's even something better. We also talk about what his job is and how he does it. We talk about artist friendships and we talk a lot about fun. I think it's interesting to start with first looking at the form, understanding you know, the mechanics of construction and then working backwards, not starting with the concept itself or the identity related to the concept and being stuck there and never looking at the quality of how it's constructed. And to me, I feel like that was my experience in graduate school. But I did not feel bad about it because I was in Harlem because Columbia is in Harlem. So I would walk outside and be inspired and be around people that my work was influenced by. So I didn't feel like because I was the only black student, I was missing anything. I felt like the school itself was missing an opportunity. It's a great conversation. I know you're going to enjoy it. Can you talk first about what it felt like to make things without confidence? Like the courage, I think, that had to be key to that? Starting out, you know, my whole practice was really more about experimenting and kind of finding a place that was least occupied to kind of venture towards and to occupy in a certain way. At the time, it was just a desire to be elusive or be very non-literal, but using very kind of concrete and complex subject matter and thinking about it as like a formal construct in the work. So I was thinking like that in the beginning, but just experimenting and seeing where things were going. So I wasn't even thinking about art or the art world in particular, I was thinking more about like a laboratory of ideas and just kind of working through things. So that confidence of what I was exactly doing at the time was not there, but it wasn't like a level of insecurity. It was really more about what I felt at the time, what an artist's life was really about. And I thought that being around other more mid-career artists And older artists, as a younger artist, I started to see like how they were operating. And because I was around a lot of artists, you know, mostly primarily black artists who were not necessarily in the market, but they were legendary within the historical framework of art. So looking at those artists who were still making work from the 60s and the 70s and even the 80s and without visibility, I just thought the role of an artist was not necessarily thinking about um, the gallery or museums, things like that, because they had very negative 
feelings about not being in the market and not being visible. And for me, I felt like because of that history and being around those artists, I was felt more liberated to not even think about that because I felt like that would be kind of a way of sabotaging my direction as an artist to have expectations of who would receive the work and how it would be celebrated or supported. So I always thought that to make art was about just a constant space of experimentation without an ending or without a finale. And so the confidence was really building after I graduated and was in the world a little bit and realized that, you know, it's really a longer journey of art making for me as an artist, but also never have an expectation of it going any particular place, like where it's going to be housed or who's going to put it in something or like not really thinking about that. Cause I really never thought about that until, you know, things start to happen like that. Like I always thought that if I could just be in my studio every day, just puttering around doing stuff forever, I would be okay. Like that to me, I felt like was the ultimate achievement as an artist is to have a studio and to be able to work and have your own time frame and do things just casually. So that was the security part of my practice, but the insecurity part was how would it be received outside of the studio when I decided that it's time for it to go into the world? And how would people look at it or talk about it in relationship to what it was being talked about within my peer group when it pertained to the Black experience in art? It's such a beautiful notion of this idea of what is enough and also what's most important. And for me, those are some kind of essential notions of, of life. And so to have that as a key element of, of how you approached your practice from the beginning, it's so interesting because if people ever figure that out, it's kind of at the end or at least the middle. It's not traditionally a place from which people start. So I think it's really cool to underscore that and to understand that and to think about you know, how that, I think, freedom, really, of enoughness yeah. populates your whole practice. Yeah. Now that I'm teaching, I always tell, you know, artists, especially young artists, like, really enjoy that moment where you're not visible and what could happen in that time of invisibility, which also can foster a certain level of freedom and exploration and experimentation in a way that once you're visible, you have to, like, kind of fight to be in that space. To keep that space, you have to be very deliberate and intentional about time and even saying to yourself, like, I'm going to be free. I'm going to do. It's something that happens totally different when you are in the world as an artist versus when you are kind of hidden away doing things without any type of light on you. I love that. And it reminds me often times we're rushing through where we are because we think we want to be somewhere else. It's like, okay, well, I don't want to be in this space because I want the next relationship to happen or the next opportunity to happen or the next job. And it's like, things just happen, right? So like all things just are. So to be able to have gratitude for those interstitial times, right? Or those times, as you said, of invisibility, instead of, you know, not wanting them or trying to make them disappear, trying to rush past them. Yeah. I mean, to me, I feel like it's definitely times to be seen and be heard. 
<clears throat> but I also think that it's really important time. I call it the incubating period where you're developing and forming and having fun and trying to stay in that place of having fun. Because I think that just in general, a lot of creatives don't really necessarily have fun in their practice or at least in their studios because of the expectation of what they expect from what they generate in the studio and all the pressure that go along with it and all the different commitments you have and people who are involved in the outcome, it becomes a very different practice. But I think trying to hold on to that could be very difficult. But I think that if you start off with the invisibility as being your foundation, then I think it's a little bit more tangible for you to stay in that space when you become visible, I think, for me. Because I started out very slow and having fun and being with my peers and hanging out with them and celebrating them and being in my studio and just being you know, around when I wasn't working. And I got to see a lot of things that I probably wouldn't have seen if I was straight out the gate in the hot seat, as I call it. I think all of those experiences of seeing from other perspectives or seeing from other places besides being the center has really kind of positioned me in a way that I can still feel like I'm experimenting and having fun and feeling uh, liberated in my everyday studio practice. Yeah. As I'm listening to you, I am thinking about maybe when we first met and how everything that you're sharing today, it just rings so true for me about what I know about you and about your practice. And and again, having the space and, and time to reflect on watching your journey. It's interesting. Do you remember when we met? Yeah, I remember because it's when I applied for the William H. Johnson Award. And yes. that, that particular year, I did not get it. But you contacted me. You were in town and you said that you were on the panel. And of course, at that time, I knew I didn't get it. And you said, you know, you didn't get the award, but I saw the work and I'm interested in coming by to the studio and we had a studio visit and we were talking a little bit about the work in more detail. And I had just recently finished school, maybe a year before. I was in the studio floor with like Micheline Thomas and Dred Scott. And we had a good conversation. It was really good for me because at that particular time, I was making particular sculptural works that were like the fur and mirror and different things like that. It was, you know, interesting because at that particular time in my career as an artist, that work was really challenging for people. <laughs> at the time, it was not very, I guess, accessible in a way that kind of alluded to a narrative that was tangible in some ways. Because I was purposely making work for that reason, because I was in grad school and I happened to be the only Black student at Columbia. And I didn't want to be pigeonholed as being that person because I felt that all the conversations surrounding identity kind of circled back to me in my studio. And I really didn't have the privilege of the students to talk about formal issues because everyone was stuck on the identity politics surrounding a Black person making anything. So the work I was making that was like these ambiguous creatures that were headless, kind of with kids and doing kind of like educational format things was really about like imprinting and how certain cultures or certain cultural dynamics where adult figures kind of form these restraints on 
society that people can see beyond like the surface of things. So it was really like thinking about that at school. But when I was at school and I was a younger artist, I was not speaking like I'm speaking now. But the reason why I was making that work was really talking about that. It was talking about the impression of that, how uh, challenging and daunting and aggressive it is when you're trying to kind of fine tune your craft as an artist in a program that you came to, to be positioned to succeed. And we could never get past that part of the work. And everyone else was able to have that experience that I was hoping to have in school. So I just started making these ambiguous creatures that were not really named and people really couldn't access them in the way that they wanted to. So that was my reasoning for doing the work I was doing when I was finishing grad school. And I felt that, but I was not necessarily speaking the way I'm speaking now, but I was somewhat aware of what I was doing and I was able to talk about it in similar terms, but not as clear, but in reflection, I know why I was making what I was making, you know, in contrast to what my peers who were going to other schools and who I was hanging out with who were making that was more representational in some ways and more obvious their position in the work. Yeah, I remember that too. You know, I know that there are a lot of artists that listen to this podcast and people listen for wisdoms and and wise. And I mean, you're talking about a strategy for art making and for what people's expectations are from the outside and how we can choose to be in relationship to those expectations, either with or away from and how long it takes sometimes to be able to express the why of what it is we're doing and the grace that, you know, that comes from, from that exploration. It definitely was a challenge and it was a good experience to, as an artist to have, you know, to speak and learn how to also uh, communicate certain things you were focused on and fixated on. And I think it, for me, it was, Definitely a great lesson that I feel really informed the way I work now and how clear I am on what I'm interested in within my work and what I'm trying to achieve with the outcome of my work beyond like the gallery space or the museum space. And I think, you know, starting off the way I started off was a really interesting way to give myself more time and space. I want to talk next about your show at Flag, and and I think the title is so perfect, particularly based on everything we're talking about. It is, I can show you better than I can tell you. And before we go there, I just wanted to circle back for a minute because you had started off talking about some of the artists who were working in the 60s and 70s and a little bit into the 80s, you said, who were working not necessarily in obscurity, but outside of the market. And I just wanted to take a minute to put their names into this conversation because I've been thinking a lot again about like personal archiving and legacy and inheritance. I would just like you, if you would, to you know put their names in this space before we move forward. So before I started grad school at Columbia, I ran a gallery called Rush Arts Gallery in Chelsea for 13 years. And most people didn't even know I did that before I went to grad school. In this space, 
was a space that primarily focused on contemporary Black artists. When we first opened in 1998, when I recently finished my undergrad at Pratt, we started to host exhibitions with artists like Howardina Pendel, Ed Clark, Frank Bowling, Al Loving, James Phillips from Afro-Cobra, Singing Agouti. We had a, quite a few artists like Odelia Odita, Renee Cox, who were on the advisory board, Andrew Collins. So Sandra Jackson Dumont was also an advisory. At the particular time, you know, the, the in the art world in the late 90s, even into the 2000s, there wasn't really a market for contemporary Black artists or modernist Black artists making abstraction. So we showed those artists most of the time. And so those artists also desired to be in a bigger stage. You know, at this point, they were beyond mid-career and they were kind of working and showing mostly in like contemporary Black spaces or Black institutions, like universities and places like that who considered them masters and, you know, held them in high regard. So I was working with them, organizing exhibitions with those artists and hanging out at their studios. So my day will be hanging out at Ed Clark studio or Herbert Gentry studio or Frank Bowling studio or talking to Howard Dina Pendel about whatever. And they would talk about their experience being an artist in the seventies and the eighties, you know, all these different, different experiences that were not necessarily a space that they felt they were in that they were not necessarily happy about. As a young artist, I just took note that if I was going to be an artist, then I had to be okay with whatever I'm doing and not necessarily expect the world or the market or any of those things to confirm my success or my credibility. So I felt really liberated because I ran a nonprofit gallery that focused on Black artists. And then as we gradually moved away from those artists, because we felt that we weren't really in a position to show those artists and give them all of the just do they deserve because they had had shows. Some of them also had exhibitions and museums prior to my space. And my space was really like not a step up. It was a nonprofit, 1,500 square foot space. So we kind of turned our attentions to younger artists. And I started curating shows with artists who people kind of know very well now, but you know, I did shows with like when Geishi Mutu won her first solo shows and Simone Lee won her first shows, Mickalene Thomas, the Daniel Mary Quinn, you know, on and on and on. Shanique Smith, you know, Leslie Hewitt. We were showing all of these young up and coming artists and I was doing studio visits when I was still making my own work. So I thought of art as more of a social practice, even if it was just an exhibition because things weren't really selling. So an opening was just more of an experience of looking at someone's art, having an artist talk about it within having an exhibition, a talk, and then more of just coming to see the show and bringing your friends to see the work. And maybe you might get a local write-up, but it was not international at the time. So it was really just a kind of foundational experience for me. And that kind of went into my experience in going to grad school in 2001, where again, no one knew I was doing these things. And at that time, I just did a show with Kehinde Wiley before I started, and I think Simone Lee before I started grad school. Like coming into a grad school and being kind of just considered as like a newbie in a program, <laughs> and no one in the program who knew all of these artists now knew that I ran the gallery was also very eye-opening to me too as a artist, as a Black artist, that no one at the school knew where these artists started. And now I'm in a program, they're talking to me like I don't know art, or I don't know certain things that I know. So that was also 
an interesting place to be, but it was humbling because I liked that I had to start over again with this audience that I was not necessarily accustomed to be in a conversation with. And it just helped to kind of form just my overall understanding of what art is and audience and expectation and all these different things that being in this other gallery space, it was a community and most of the artists knew each other and we pretty much became friends through exhibition experience. So it was just another layer of my experience as an artist starting from like 25, 26 with this gallery up until, you know, graduating from grad school and working there a couple more years and then kind of just leaving. It was just time. It wasn't like I didn't enjoy what I was doing. It was just time to put that energy from helping to situate these other artists into situating myself. Thank you for telling that story. And I was struck by the description of arriving at graduate school and again being confronted. Maybe that's too strong of a word, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. With, maybe it's good. Uh, maybe it's perfect. I think maybe it's perfect. Uh, with with so many assumptions and your choice in that moment to see it as an opportunity for humility. And again, that's something that, you know, I, I know of you and I, I know of your practice. And again, I, I think it's important to acknowledge it and, and not just, you know, let it go. Let's move to your show now that's at Flag and the title, which I referenced earlier, I can show you better than I can tell you. Tell us about the project. Well, the paintings that are featured at Flag were a series called Motion Picture Paintings. Some of the work was now at Flag, exhibited at Flag, and some also was with LGDR in Hong Kong and the gallery there. But the work that took about a, two years, a little bit more to create started during the pandemic and working through that, but also working kind of, again, working in, invisible. I was invisible for a little time, like everyone was in some ways, because everyone was able to kind of break off and be in these spaces outside of the world. If you could, if you have the privilege to do that, to kind of work quietly or live quietly while things were a little bit chaotic. And so with all the chaos happening, I was able to really just buckle down and get really into the zone of working that I always try to get in. But I had more success at this particular time because I was being left alone. This work came from first watching movies. Most of the movies I was watching during this time were kind of going back, looking at old movies, mostly movies that were more Black American storyline, themes, characters. And I was really kind of looking at it again this time in a more critical way, but also enjoying it in a nostalgic way. And so with that, I started to kind of look at the paintings as a reference to movies and movie language and movie culture and visual culture. So I started looking at the works as almost like tableaus or movie stills or lobby cards. And I started seeing them as being very active in the way they were kind of projecting certain scenes of life and things that I've also felt were very important to me as a person, but also as an artist, being able to kind of like capture all of these moments and put them in one work. And so the works overall have like a lot of elements that 
for me, are, they're all paintings for the most part, some little collage, but most of them are, to me, I still feel them as being like collage oriented, mm. the way that I started to compile images that I wanted to put into the work. For me, in my work, race is not the main subject, it's just an ingredient within the subject. And it's something that kind of makes the end product have a certain level of substance that it would not have without it. For me, race is definitely a foundational structure of the work, but it's not something that when I'm in my studio saying it has to be about race. Like I know it is. I'm I don't really think you can make things without any type of cultural perspective that alludes to your racial identity. So if it's abstract or figurative, I just feel like the colors you you see are based on the conversations you've had and the environments that you've occupied and the legacy of people around you and what they wore and all these different things and what you ate. I find it really difficult to detach those two things, but also find it not as effective in my work if that becomes the first entry point into looking at the work. So I think of the work as definitely being from a perspective of Black American life and culture and aspirations, but I also think of the work as being from the ability to fantasize and to redirect and to offer alternative perspective in looking at a cultural group or a cultural legacy that has not always had the opportunity to make work that celebrates itself without having to explain it. I don't think I make narrative work, even though my work may have figures in it and things in it. I think the work that I make, the narrative is usually imposed upon it, but I try within my practice to really focus on the formal aspect of my work and not really giving like an illustration of what I'm thinking. I'm really giving you like just things that I feel are significant for you to visualize through my interpretation of it. So I'm thinking about art like that. Like, I don't think there's a story I'm thinking when I'm making the work. I'm thinking about a moment and the moment does not have an ending or a beginning or it's not, there's no linear structure. It's really, this is a segment that I want to highlight, which may be a part of something bigger but I'm willing for you to interpret it in a way that you understand it based on your access to this information and to this visual language that I'm presenting in the work. Super interesting. Again, this idea of who's responsible for helping <laughs> someone else, right? Like it's, it's not your responsibility, right? To explain the image that you're presenting and holding that space, right? So both to allow it to be specific and personal, but also universal and and to chronicle experience like full stop, right? That's what it is. Um, so it is. Yeah, totally. I mean, what I learned when I was in grad school is that some of the privileges of some of the other artists in the program is that they didn't have to give a backstory what we were looking at. They didn't have to have an explanation on why they decided to paint this person doing this or why they had to do this very simplistic line as it related to their cultural perspective. And I was the person who had to have those conversations with everyone in my program. I honestly didn't feel bad about it. I was actually feeling sad for the students 
because I, I felt that they were missing an opportunity to understand some of my conceptual framework around my ideas because they were just stuck on the more superficial part of what they believe my work was about and they couldn't get past it. And I thought that that was a shame because they were missing the opportunity with Picasso taking the sculpture or being influenced from a sculptural head of a traditional African mask, but not knowing the origin or not placing the origin in context to the painting. I thought that would be a great way to to let people know about your ideas and how you conceive them instead of just taking the form and not uh, and disassociating the context and where the form originated from. It's the same with schools. Like people are looking at the work and totally looking at it in reverse. They were looking at it as in like, you're black. This is about being black. And I can't get past why you're making this or what does it mean? And how does it mean? What does it mean to me? And I felt like that was a missed opportunity for you. Now that we're all in the education space, trying to learn with institutional space, trying to learn ideas and share ideas. I have stuff to share because I'm listening to you share and you're not listening. That was a missed opportunity to be educated about things that are beyond the surface of what you're looking at. And that's what I said about the idea of like when artists take forms and they incorporate it in their work and people don't understand the origin of the form or the meaning behind certain things. I think it's interesting to start with first looking at the form, understanding you know, the mechanics of construction and then working backwards, not starting with the concept itself or the identity related to the concept and being stuck there and never looking at the quality of how it's constructed. And to me, I feel like that was my experience in graduate school. But I did not feel bad about it because I was in Harlem because Columbia is in Harlem. So I would walk outside and be inspired and be around people that my work was influenced by. So I didn't feel like because I was the only Black student, I was missing anything. I felt like the school itself was missing an opportunity. So good. Just that share that people want to understand things in relationship to themselves, <laughs> like that, that that's the point of reference. You know, it's like, well, what about me? Like, how does it relate to me? How does your story matter to me? It's like, well, actually, <laughs> that's, that's the wrong question. Yeah, because sometimes, you know, for me as an artist, as a Black person in our world, most of my undergrad experience was looking at things that usually did not relate to me directly, but I had to look at certain elements and aspects of art and art history and somehow shape it to somehow be interested in it. And a lot of these things were formal first. And then getting back to the humanity of it is something that I had to kind of dig deeper in it. And I think that the exhibition, I can show you, but then I can tell you was really my desire to go back to those spaces, as we were saying, reflection, to go back to the origin and the essence of when I first started making work in my grad school time, where it was really about just spending time with the work and spending time with, with the work and understanding, you know, or not understanding, but appreciating the formal quality of the work and understanding that because the artist and the artist's cultural perspective, that it has like an origin beyond just the formal aspect. But I think as an artist, you want people to look at the work 
for its craftsmanship. You want people to look at the work for things that you've learned while being in a cultural institution where formalism is something that is a priority and something that you want to be able to uh, execute in your studio and present to the world, which is, to me, is the prime goal as an artist. And regardless of your cultural background, I think that's a given. I think all artists want to make something that they think is interesting looking and that is made with a certain level of confidence as what they're trying to communicate. But to also be able to talk about like substance and things like that, I felt like the show at Flag was really more about things kind of unfolding in front of you and things kind of having their own life and breath and to be able to be interpreted in many different ways. You know, some people say like, my work is about Black joy. And honestly, I may have mentioned that in a, in a conversation some, some time ago, but actually it's a writer named Cleve Cruz, Cleveland Cruz, who actually kind of was one of the pioneering people to kind of coin that phrase with the Black Joy Project, which is a, a book that is coming out that he's working on soon. But that's the first time I heard it. And it was an Instagram like account. And it was just about showing images of like normalcy within the Black community and Black culture. And to me, my work was always about that. I didn't call it that, but I knew that that's what I was trying to get at my whole time as an artist, because when I ran a gallery, like I was around that. Like my work is really not a far reach of what my life experience is. I worked at a gallery that focused on Black artists who were my peers and we had fun and we had openings and we did all these great things and we did music and we had, so for me, my work is just a mirror of the experience that I've had up until now that I'm actually putting in the context of a painting and I'm not making it heavily narrative because I don't think that it's about like a linear presentation. I think that it came from all these different places and I think the collage element of my practice is kind of just seeped into the painting structure of my practice. But it's really reflective of my peer group and my surroundings since I've been here, since I've been in New York. I'm struck by your idea of putting humanity and finding humanity in the work. And that's what we are. I mean, we're, we're human and we live a life. And your work is about that. And I also want to sort of underscore the multiple references you've made to fun and the celebration of creativity and friendship and and the joy that is that aspect of of living and living with art and living in art. Yeah. I mean, I've heard in many occasions where people have circled back and have said to me, like, oh, when I first looked at your work, I thought it was what it was. Then I had to look again and I realized with everything happening and the way that that this is actually a space that is less occupied. That's not necessarily a confirmation that I need, but I, I like to also understand when people also realize that an artist's position is not to like educate the world. Like that's not my job. My job mm-hmm. is not to educate the world about black experience. That's not what I'm my job is to grow as an artist in my studio by taking chances within the language of what I'm trying to form visually and to just explore 
without any expectations or any like place where it will end. There's no like finish line. So when I'm making work, I always think that it's just a continuation of one long experience that has different segments. Yeah, that's beautifully said. And this idea that it's a continuum, you know, your practice is a continuum, life is a continuum, painting is a continuum. And there are these moments of pause or reflection or space to think. And that's what the works are. I did enjoy making these particular works in at Flag and within uh, the series because they first start off as being like somewhat direct references to things and movies that I have grown up with, have watched with friends and family, shows I've quoted in my casual conversation with friends, uh, lines from these movies, but they also went into like reflecting or even looking for family and looking at family as like a cinematic reference to a time and to a, from a snapshot or something that I feel from the way that a vintage photograph was taken that reflected back to me or boomerang back to me as very much in line with cinema or being cinematic, the way it was framed, the way that the subject in the photograph looked at the camera, looked away from the camera. It just triggered all these different things that kind of connected to cinema. And when I was in grad school, I actually took, for a lot of my electives, I took film theory and film construction. So I was really interested in the framing of things, but I was taking these things, not really thinking about it being a major part of my practice or my philosophy, it was really more I wanted to understand how the camera operated and, and the way it was seductive and the way it informed identity or the way we see ourselves. And that was like one of the things that I think is consistent with my practice, but it started off being just an interest in wanting to understand the framing of things. Derek, why does art matter? Well, for me, art matters as an individual because it's therapeutic, like the practice of it and, you know, all the different aspects of it as, a, as an artist, it matters. But I also think that it matters to individuals who are fortunate enough to come in contact with art that speaks to them and give them a sense of like, you know, even if it's leisure or, or if it's entertainment or any of those things, I just think that it's a reminder that imagination is key to human advancement. When we are at a point where we can no longer imagine a world beyond what we experience every day, then we're in trouble. Because if you're an artist, it's not saying you can't make work about things that are happening to people in society or happening to you that are factual. But I also feel that the imagination is what drives us in a way to create spaces that are not created yet. Spaces that that are totally influenced by artists' imagination. If you look at the futurist movement, a lot of things that appear in a lot of those paintings and sculptures are existing now in real objects. So I think that artists have the ability to imagine worlds that are not created if they allow themselves to kind of think outside of the box and to think about things and to imagine and create things that may be the most absurd at some point. But we've we've learned that some of the things that were created that were thought of as being absurd are now really important staples 
in the visual language of what we see and what we experience every day. So I definitely feel like art, it matters. And I love having my work not only in museums or galleries, but in train stations and restaurants. Like when I think about my practice, I think about like non-art people. Like I think about people who are not as invested in the idea of art in the way that I am so heavily weighted in the culture of art from an academic perspective. I actually like people who could care less because <laughs> they're tough. Because yeah. yeah. they don't have to care. When they like something that you have or you've made, to me, that's like the biggest success as an artist. Yeah. Is it, you know, to tap into a family member who's not really into art, who says to you, I'm not really into art, but like, I like what you're doing. Or yeah. I was walking to the subway station and I happened to look up when I was looking at waiting for my train and I see your work and those types of things. Like to me, I, that was not necessarily an aspiration to have my work in those spaces, but I understand the benefits of that now more than I would have when I was younger. Like I tell a lot of young artists, you can have your work anywhere if your context is strong. If the context of your work is, is embedded in the work, it can rest anywhere, even on the sidewalk outside. Like that's what strong work could do. It doesn't need to have walls or anything like that. I believe that with any practice of art making, you can look at the space, think about the people who walk through these spaces and consider that conversation if you choose to be in that space. Who's going to be there? Who's going to see what you're doing? And do you want to have a conversation with them? I would hope you would, you know, want them to see how somehow engaged in what you're creating in some way. And, and so I think that art is really a significant part of like human growth, being in contact with art, looking at the possibilities of what you could do on different types of surfaces. Such a great answer. And this idea, you know, we can all only know what we know. We can't necessarily imagine yet the things that we don't yet know. And, and art is one of the things that propels us forward, that creates that space for the opportunity of the previously yet not imagined. Well said. <laughs> I agree. I totally agree. I also love this idea of presenting art for people that are not even like the apathetic middle but the people who are actually certain that art's not for them, like who actually think they hate art and then being able to change their perspective or even for people to say like, you know, I'm not into art, but I like your stuff. There's so much promise in that. There's so much hope in that. There's, you know, so much joy in that. I love it because it's like, it's, and I don't even think they say it in a way to make you feel like it's a compliment. Right. <laughs> I don't even think when they say that, they say it as a, to give you a compliment to make you feel like confirmed or anything. It's really very descriptive. This is what I yes. usually feel. And, and But in this case, I don't feel that way. Yeah. It's honest. Yeah. It's yeah. like matter of fact. And I actually like it because yep. I feel yep. like you don't really get that normally and within the yes. community that we occupy, not directly to you as an artist, but I, I feel... When you have those 
fortunate encounters with people who say those things, take it or leave it, it's from the heart. And I appreciate it. Derek, I appreciate this conversation so much. As you know, I'm a longtime fan, longtime admirer. I've always been really interested in what you're doing. And I'm, I'm so grateful to have this conversation today and to share what we talked about with a broad audience. So I, I loved it. I, I really, really, really enjoyed our time today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm looking forward to many more conversations in person. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Thanks for listening today. I found this conversation with Derek particularly life-affirming, and that's actually how I always feel when I talk with artists. So my guest next time is also an artist, the artist Mark Maunders, and I have done multiple exhibitions with Mark. The first one we realized was actually 18 years ago. I've been talking with him about his practice for a long time, and it's magical. I think you're going to like that conversation. Be sure to join us then, too. About Art is part of the Why Art Matters Project, a global initiative that makes art accessible, relevant, and transformational. We connect all to art through books, a podcast series, talks, brand collaborations, TV, and more. This episode was mixed by Dominic Anthony Walsh. Our theme music was composed by Eric McDougall. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and review us on whichever platform you listened, as it helps us further our goal of connecting all to art. We'll be back again every other Tuesday with new episodes. Thank you so much for being part of our community.